Some of the most memorable experiences in our lives are in are in these venues that are in bars and restaurants. They're, um, they're the pillars that kind of carry us through from celebrations um, and, and milestones, and they and they mean a lot. So being able to create places where people are making those memories and to be a part of, of, of what those memories look like for those people um, is just the best career I, I think I could be in. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Over the last 15 years, the lines have been blurred between restaurant and bar as savvy operators have celebrated the beauty of both in unique venues. The focus being on a great night out and food and drinks play the key roles in both. But what does it take to create and run a group whose focus is on great drinks and a unique food offering as well? Zara Madrison is the co-owner of the Made in the Shade group in Melbourne. Zara, how are you? Hi, I'm very well. How are you? I'm really good. You've been part of this incredible evolution of uh, the wine bar culture in Australia. What's it been like for you to be part of it? Uh, It's been pretty full on. (laughs) It's been an adventure. Um, Yeah, Michael and I sort of uh, have a particular particular take on on business and and our approach to work and it's it's mostly run at it and and hope for the best uh so we've been running for a few years <laughs> and uh yeah it's it's been full on but it's been great one of the interesting thing about all of your offerings is uh the emphasis on quality food offering as well uh, what's it been like trying to balance, you know, that great drinks offering um, with the right food pairing too? Yeah, look, we come from we come from the bar world um, unapologetically, I guess. Uh, Margot, our, our third venue, was was the real uh, a real step into into the food world for us. We'd done um, Connie's Pizza previously at Heartbreaker, um, sticking you know specifically to nailing that New York slice, which which we both know re- we both knew really well um so that was that was kind of easy but going into uh i guess effectively a full restaurant offering with bar margot um under the guise of a bar with a bar with food um and still putting that focus on on drinks was was how we navigated it i think the the bar is something that we know so well that it was it was easy to sort of to own that um and the and the experience was led still by that bar offering being able to have you know a, a great meal up at the bar um the role that drinks play in in that dining space was was where we started um and then you know food that you want to drink with really is where we live tell us about where it all began for you what sort of what lured you to a life in hospitality so um i guess my early journey is uh less traditional in the realms of hospitality owners i don't come from um from a hospitality family um like michael does michael grew up in restaurants um i had a bit of a um kind of a tougher start we I was in a single parent family with with four kids and we kind of ate whatever we could get our hands on really um I had a very my early start was a very simple kind of um functional relationship with food um and it wasn't until I moved to uh, London to go to um, performing arts college actually at, at 16 that I suddenly realized there was a whole different world out there in regards to everything but <laughs> food and bev um, specifically uh, and like so many others started uh, working in hospitality to support 
my studies um, and and fell in fell in love with it um, mostly around the fact that uh, what I was studying at that point a little bit further down the line was was uh, theater and production and experiences and hospitality was was theater and production and experiences uh, what I was doing in my part-time bar job was um, I think more relevant to what I was interested in um, than you know my, my theater studies in many ways tell us more about those early days what were the real integral moments that that really got your appetite for the industry um like I say, it was kind of coming from coming from uh, my mum was a a great cook. I think when she when she had the time, um, she really cared about what she put on the table. But like I say, was really really time poor, and often would have you know four siblings asking for different things and be trying to figure figure that out. Um, but I remember things like uh, I, I guess early on, very early on, I got an appreciation for the role that food played in bringing us together. So being a, a bit of a hectic and a, um, um, a, a hustling sort of family um, with, you know, three teenagers and I was the youngest of four and then, you know, my mum on her own. It was the Sunday roast that she would somehow still put on every every year. Um, coming from the UK, it was all about the Sunday roast. Um, <laughs> would be the time then we would all sit around the table together and it was probably the only time during that entire week that we'd maybe all be in the same room for longer than an hour. Um, so that already played a quite an important role for me. I don't think I recognized that at the time, but I knew that that was, um, that meal really, really sort of stuck with me. And in, in London, I'd be trying to replicate and, you know, when I was feeling a bit lonely as a, a very young student in London, I know that I would sort of gravitate towards those, um, like bistro pubs, those pubs that had, great food and would put on um and sunday roasts and i would probably you know from the age of 16 be kind of parking myself somewhere in one of those really cozy beautiful pubs and trying to find a, a couple of friends to recreate that family experience um because that was that was so important to me from from an early age so um i think the the, the feeling of togetherness that that food could offer um or that those venues could offer um was quite an, a, an emotional strand for me from from an early age uh, and then from the crazy dance world, I had a, I had a um, actually had a dancing injury quite early on at, at um, about 18 years old. So I had to stop dancing for a while um, and got pulled into the fashion industry at that time. So it was sort of stay in London and and work as a, an editorial model um, that I'd been asked to, I'd been scouted for, or move back to Dorset and go back to school. Um, and I, I felt like I had something to prove. Uh, I'd already moved up to London and I'd told all my friends, you know, I'm going to make it big in dancing and all this kind of stuff. So I, I, I stuck around and... Um, um, and gave modeling a crack. Um, and it was at that point that I um, had this crazy sort of life where, you know, I didn't really have enough money to uh, be buying myself dinner. I'd pretty often, you know, if, if I was uh, at home in the in the halls I was living in, I'd be going up to the Tesco Express up the road to get a, a raw capsicum to have for my dinner or an avocado or something, you know, to try and like see me through. So no romance in regards to food there at all. Uh, but for me, that was preferable um, to eating, you know, from the canteen in the, in the, in the halls that I was living in. Um, to then being invited into uh, this mad world of fashion where 
I was getting invited along to these these dinners at places like Nobu or um, Annabelle's in in Mayfair, and being um, given these incredible meals. I remember having like frogs legs for the first time at you know eighteen. Uh, and just being like, what the, you know, I've grown up on jacket potatoes and now I'm eating, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm eating frog's legs for free in Mayfair. So it was, it was kind of like one extreme to the other um, and, and fascinating. It was just, it was just um, suddenly like this world had opened up in front of me of, of, you know, nightlife scene, drinking, dining um, was, it was just kind of thrust in front of me um, with really no, no previous experience. And I realized that eating could be an adventure, you know, that, that, that um, socializing and dining and, and being out in, in these spaces was, uh, was a whole journey that I was just on the cusp of. Do you have any stories about that sort of the first period of time stepping into working in bars and, and, and what it was like finding your feet there? Yeah, I actually started um, I started working at Experimental Cocktail Club, which is kind of where it all happened for me. Um, this was all around uh, the time that I've just been speaking about. So I'm working in fashion on the side. I've just started my master's at this stage um, in theatre. So I'm you know, doing as everyone does in these big cities and trying to do, you know, 10 things at once and just pay the, pay the rent. <laughs> um, but I started working at Experimental Cocktail Club because a friend of mine uh, was doing, running some events and reservations for them and they needed a hand on the door and it was good money. And I said, you know, what, I'll, I'll come and help out, maybe do one night a week. And I think it was, you know, one one week of doing a Saturday night shift. Um, the next week I was on four nights and, you know, I just kind of like gelled with the team straight away. I couldn't believe, you know, like the rate of pay that you could get working on the door in a London bar. You know, it was it was just it was crazy. Um, very, very unfair to the to the bartenders and uh, for staff probably working within there that were probably on five pounds an hour, but on the door you were getting maybe triple that. Um, and it came with its, its challenges itself. I, I was on the um, I was the first person that you were greeted with in, uh, on in Chinatown in London. So um, we dealt with all sorts of types as I'm sure you can imagine uh and it was it was a bit of a baptism of fire in regards to yeah dealing with people and serving people um but I yeah gelled with the team um really quickly and uh was so interested in what everyone was doing I'm kind of always up in everyone's business I'm trying to learn you know what what everyone's doing and 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 what they're about so I was very quickly kind of acquainted with how the bar was run. Um, I'd be chucking in my two cents to the owners about, you know, what I thought could be better and different. Um, and it just captivated me. I just, I just, it was, it was a really busy, really busy venue um, from day dot as Experimental Cocktail Club. We've now got lots and lots of venues around the world, but I think it's still the um, kind of most successful spot. So uh, it was, you know, it was go, go, go from beginning to end of every shift and finishing at uh, three o'clock in the morning and getting the night bus home. It was, it was a total wild ride. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I learned, I learned a lot. You would have uh, run into some pretty uh, interesting characters working the door of a venue like that. Do you have any stories you can share from that experience? Uh, I certainly do. Yeah. Um, we, you know, it, it was a classic sort of, um, London hosting vibe where, you know, you've got a list in front of you, but you've got 
people queuing around the block and you've got people that you want to be letting in that are halfway down the queue that aren't on the list and you're doing all this kind of crazy you know hand signals eye movements trying to be subtle um it's just um you've got celebrities that you're trying to sort of you know be very coy about um and 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 get them in without uh causing you know too much of a scene to anyone else otherwise you're going to get you know in in heat with with the managers or the owners for that celebrity getting in uh having negative fever not wanting to come to the bar again because it wasn't subtle enough for them to sneak through or whatever it's a huge responsibility there um and then you've just got you know terrible humans who have absolutely no respect for uh for anyone who works in hospitality and just come and make their demands at you um and are incredibly aggressive so i was really fortunate to have a an incredible um a, a door a doorman that worked with me um Errol, who is still there to this day, I think he's been with them since day one and he's worked the door seven nights a week um, for like, I don't know, the last 10 years. Um, absolutely incredible um, Albanian gentleman who uh, took good care of me um, and, yeah, worked the door like a pro. So uh, I learned a lot from him and we were like a little double act, I think, of London at that time. We were quite well known as the, <laughs> the ECC door crew, quite a, uh, an, a, a pair that you wouldn't expect, I guess, a little, little Albanian dude and a, a tall blonde chick. But um, it was quite entertaining <laughs> for most people. <laughs> What resulted in you coming to Australia? Um, so I'd been in London uh, for about eight years and, uh, you know, first moved up, like I said, to go to college. Um, was terrified, didn't really go outside of my um you know, immediate radius, uh, thought it was, you know, this big city that I'd never be able to get to know and love. Uh, how would I ever kind of, um, infiltrate it and find it familiar? And it wasn't until I was, um, modeling full time that I was on my feet, pounding the pavement, going to castings, um, all day, every day and walked, you know, walked the entire scope of London pretty much daily. Um, so I got really, really acquainted with, you know, like the back streets of everywhere. Like I just understood how the whole patchwork quilt fit together um, geographically and, um, you know, therefore found all those cool little cafes or restaurants or spots down the back lanes that people didn't know about and um, uh, just fell in love with London um, entirely. I was I was completely captivated by it um, and felt like it was, it was absolutely home. Um, for a long time and it wasn't until I, I finished my master's and I was I was working at uh, ECC I was also um, working in my first uh, film production role for um, Future Cinema Secret Cinema who put on sort of these uh, theatre and film um, combined kind of immersive events sort of my dream company I just started working with them but everything was just everything was just too much uh, you know I was working four nights on the door uh, four to four or five nights on the door until very very late getting up early and going into um going into the office to to work for future cinema um and finishing my dissertation at the same time for my master's so I wasn't seeing my friends um I still you know despite working my absolute ass off was barely making enough money to live um and the increasingly I swear it was increasingly gray weather <laughs> just started to get me down a little bit um so yeah I think like a lot of a lot of people um 
as much as I love the city, the grind, I was getting that little bit older. I mean, I was still only 23, but I've been there since the age of 16 and I was starting to feel like uh, there wasn't a very easy future for me there. Um, I think I just needed a break. I needed a break above above all else. Um, and in mind, I'd gone over to Berlin for the first time actually um, for a, a week to house it for a friend and to try and finish my dissertation, take myself out of the the, the, the madness and the, the social life in London um, to try and get it done. And fell in love with Berlin because, you know, for reasons I don't need to explain, just super cool, <laughs> so much energy um, and amazing people. And um, I thought, wow, I could, I could do this. Maybe I'll come and spend some time here. Uh, I think at that point I realized I needed to, to leave London. I just wasn't sure where I needed to go. Um, and then I had a friend, uh, a bartender who I was working with at uh, Experimental Cocktail Club who was kind of going through a similar thing and he felt like he needed a change of a change of scenery change of pace um but he was doing really well on the bar and wanting to further his his career so he was looking for somewhere that had a a really thriving hospitality scene and um by this point I'm kind of taking my uh my work in hospitality quite seriously too even though I'm not quite sure where I'm gonna sit there I'm not I'm not um trained on the floor I'm not trained on the bar I'm kind of just this like overall bossy boots observer um that's you know running running the running the door and um and helping kind of run the floor from that perspective but um I haven't got any specific kind of skills-based training so I'm sort of interested in in what that's going to look like if I go and jump into another industry um but he was so passionate about Melbourne. He'd, he'd had lots of friends there. Um, he'd known lots of people um, that had been working with him um, at ECC and at other venues that were over there um, at the time and could, you know, potentially line him up with work and stuff. So he said, look, I'm going to go. I'm going to go over to Melbourne. You should, you should come. Um, so I'm doing this sort of Berlin, Melbourne, um, sums in my head. Uh, and I guess, you know, it was a, a fact that a friend was coming over here that swayed it for me. Um, cause it would be a bit more familiar with, um, someone that I, I knew, uh, and pretty much just booked a ticket and, um, and said to my friends, you know, we're going to need to have a leaving party. Cause I, I have this gut feel, this really deep gut feel that I'm, I'm you know, I'm not coming back in six months and, of course, everyone was like, of course, "You are. I'm not even going to come and meet you for a drink to say goodbye. We'll see you in. <laughs> we'll see you in a few months' time when it all goes tits up." Um, but uh, I think I knew at that time that I, I needed, I needed to have a, a real change and to do something different. Um, and and yeah, landed here, and that was kind of that. What were your thoughts of the Melbourne hospitality industry and the bars that were around at the time of your arrival? Um. What struck me and what I, what I kept saying to my friends when I would um, occasionally get, you know, the right time to be able to speak to them on, on Skype or whatever was uh, the people. The people kept me here. Um, and the people, I mean, specific to the industry, I think, um, but the people more broadly, the community. I, I was I, I landed in, um, in Fitzroy Collingwood, um, so an amazing pocket to start off with. But... Um, uh, then, you know, starting by um, being introduced to friends of friends who were running bars or working in venues over there. And, you know, within like two nights, I had someone offering me 
somewhere to live, somewhere to work, um, a place, you know, a, a shoulder to cry on, a, you know, what, whatever I needed. Um, there was just these total strangers um, who were embracing, um, you know, both my friend and I in, in this new little community. And I was just... Um, Again, coming from a, a big city where you really have to prove yourself constantly, um, and it's, it's incredibly competitive. It was, it was really refreshing. Um, it was really warm and inviting. Everyone kind of seemed like they wanted everyone to, you know, do better. Everyone was willing to kind of give you a, a bit of a leg up or a suggestion of, you know, how to. Um, you know find people like-minded people or, or what have you or to find work like I say so it was really um that was a really really w- wonderful start um and then I think I realized that the the industry um I mean this is my view of it it's, it's probably a little bit different now but my view of it then was it, it was quite tight-knit um particularly the bar world there was a lot going on but it was it was quite focused and close I think that's the the benefit of the Melbourne scene being um I guess less less sprawled uh, less less distance to cover um and yes yeah, some amazing individuals lots of which were well-traveled themselves so they sort of had a an idea of my experience too and um yeah I, I quickly felt like this was a, a community I wanted to be a part of and and to help grow Michael, who's now your husband, started the group and then you joined the fold. Tell us about how that started. Yeah, so I, um, again, being a little bit of a, um, probably an arrogant 24-year-old, bossy boots, as I like to, probably probably nicer way to put it, um, decided that if I was going to work in hospitality here, I was going to work in, you know, the best spot in town. So I found out from, you know, the people I was meeting with in that first week where that was um, or where those places might be. Um, and strangely, um, fortunately enough, the Everly that required five five staff at that stage and hadn't seen anyone leave um, in its first two years, I think we're about a year and a half, two years open by that time, um, had a vacancy. So quick, quite quickly, uh, I think that was kind of the hot vacancy in town. I had a couple of friends, a, a friend who was running Black Pearl at the time said, you know, I'm going to take you in to meet Michael um, and um, you should you should go and check it out. And I was like, well, yeah, I can, I, that sounds amazing, um, but I don't know if I'm quite qualified for, for a venue like that. Um, and uh, what's, I guess, amazing and still is about, about the Everly is that we – we hire on personality and on, uh, you know, enthusiasm and above skill set. Um, all of that can kind of be trained and taught. And that was, um, that was the conversation that I had with, um, with the bar manager and the, um, the floor manager at the time was, you know, why do you want to be here? And, um, um, and what do you see that you think you would be able to bring something to? Um, and for me, it was the theatre of that venue. I walked in and was just, you know, from from entering on the corner of Gertrude Street, where there's a uh, at the time it was um, the diner, uh, going through this checkered floor and up the stairs and getting pounded with this incredible smell of freshly pressed ginger and um you know fresh lime juice and the noise of the the huge rocks of ice like rattling in the tins like when you're standing in the foyer like everything about it was considered detail-oriented theatrical um and I just thought like this is a dance I want to be a part of this is this is something that um that that I want to I want to um bring myself into and, and learn learn from these people um 
And I sat at the bar. Michael didn't speak to me, really. He was working the shift. Um, so he just said, sort of sit there. And um, I watched watched everything that was going on. I watched these incredible incredible women on the floor at the time um, just do this dance uh, like I'd never seen, you know, never seen before. Um, and I ordered drinks is what Michael would tell you. If it, why did I get the job? It's because I ordered drinks and I knew that I was going to pay for them myself. <laughs> I ordered cocktails. He said, you know, I have all these people come in asking, asking to trial in my bar and they assume that I'm going to give them some free drink at the bar and then they, you know, trot off, don't even ask to pay. And I sat there and I think I had felt like I needed to prove my cocktail knowledge, obviously, and my ability to drink uh, <laughs> and <laughs> ordered about four drinks, uh, four different cocktails and, um, yeah, paid, paid full whack even though I'd arrived on a, on a credit card and, and, and didn't have a job yet um so he was like oh you know that that kind of sets you apart in my book uh i'll give you i'll give you a shot um so yeah started working as a host as everyone really does or certainly did back then at the ev uh and you kind of progress through the ranks from there um and um again came in bit, bit bossy bootsy and there was a small team and i they weren't really doing anything with the the back room the elk room which is um an, a stunning a stunning space in the Everly. they used to have the odd function in there but no one kind of had any events um experience and and, and didn't or marketing experience and didn't really know what to do there so i sort of said you know can i make this my my baby can i can I, I've seen these incredible events I've been a part of in, in London and, you know, theatrical experiences is kind of my thing. Um, so we started running stuff like um, the Classic Cocktail Book Club, which became a, uh, a monthly Monday night gig where Michael and Sebastian Rayburn would um, wax lyrical about old cocktail books and tell stories about cocktail culture from, um, you know, day dot. It was just incredible. And, and the Melbourne community started coming in. It was a free event. Um, and tasting drinks from all the different cocktail books um, and, uh, you know, things like that. Another event called BYO Bartender, which is where the bartenders came out onto the floor um, and the customers would bring in uh, groups of, of, of people would bring in their own spirits and mixes and the bartenders would have to just make something with them on the, um, on the you know, off, off, off the cuff, um, which was really, really fun. Um, so, yeah, just kind of started getting getting into the thick of it pretty pretty quickly and, and trying to um, show my, my worth, I guess. Um, and, yeah, very quickly, Michael and I were very fond friends and, and very considered about the fact that we couldn't take that to, to the next level um, without knowing that it was going to be very serious because we were a team of a team of five people and didn't want to rock the boat. Michael had always had a rule that, you know, staff, staff weren't able to, shouldn't, shouldn't get together or court because it might disrupt the family and we wouldn't want to make that, we wouldn't want to, you know, jeopardize the, the the bar um so we took it really really seriously and 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 nothing happened for for a long time and then we actually asked permission of the team um to be together yeah. <laughs> um and 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 yeah they they kind of reluctantly said yeah i guess so you know if you guys are really serious about it i guess so um and from there, it was kind of it was hard to stop us. We both had big ideas, and 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 Michael was, you know, wanting to think about opening another spot. So once we got our heads together, um, 
and got creative, uh, it kind of all took off. The creativeness really took off and all, all of the venues that you have have a really strong identity and, and an individual brand. What, what does it what does it take to build those and and create such uh, different and unique specialised venues? Um, I think it takes experience in the world as a first starting point. Like I really think that you need to have, um, well, I think that, that the creative concepts that come out of um, Michael and I are from emotional F&B experiences that we've had around the world. They're from like moments in time that you're almost trying to capture or recreate. Um, and it helped, I guess, that um, sort of strangely, Michael and I have been in the same parts of the world at different times. So we've had the same, we'd had the same experiences in certain venues. We were um, like-minded about what, what was emotive for us um, and what, what, really makes the difference in terms of those experiences um, and how to kind of marry all those ingredients together to, to make something really special. Um, Michael is, is absolutely the kind of visionary in terms of recreate, like of building the concept um, visually. So he'll walk into a space and um, I find it completely bizarre, like just kind of build a bar in his, in his mind uh, or build a venue in his mind from looking at this, what apparently looks like a quite a, you know, rundown or, or, um, or blank space. Um, it'll be built in his, in his head um, to, to the detail. So, so it starts with that for us. Um, and then from there, we'll kind of discuss the language I'm, I'm kind of more of a words person. He's more of a visual person. I'm more of a words person. So I start kind of unpicking what that identity is, um, for that venue. And that obviously is related to everything, um, from the interiors to the music, to the offering, to, um, the service style. So, uh, we start really unpicking, um, what the unique sort of points about each of those are and how they all come together to tell the same story and what that story is um and we really we really personify each of each of the venues um in order to get that language and that voice out um imagining you know who is this person what do they wear what what would they what would they drink you know what would they say if they walked into the venue what kind of character would they be um what do their friends think of them <laughs> all of that kind of thing um in order to to really create this kind of living breathing identity for for the venues as you mentioned a bit earlier, Connie's and, and Bar Margot was a real evolution pushing into the food area. Why did you go down that path with the bars? Um, Connie's, both of them were kind of, if you would ask, if you would ask Michael, he would say they were, they were always going to happen. You know, there were things that he wanted to birth, I guess. Like, uh, he spent a long time in New York um, and uh, the New York Slice was a, a fond kind of, you know, every every uh, dinner break from from the venues that he was bars that he was working with, he would you know duck out to the corner and, and grab a slice. Um, and uh, the love, I guess, for a, a great New York um, style pizza was was deep rooted within him. Um, beyond that, um, Margot, the concept. Um, had been sort of fleshed out in Michael's head before opening the Everly, so. When Michael opened the Ev, he wanted to. There was a uh, potentially on the table an option to take um, the diner downstairs, um, and when he looked at it, um, 
he had this idea of creating this sort of New York French brasserie, um, which we kind of colloquially all colloquially called the the white tile joint um you'll see the the number of white tiles in in Valmargo but I think it became um uh quite kind of um a a way that lots of these kind of these venues in uh in New York and obviously predating that in Paris um were defined was this sort of um striking white tile throughout um uh cool kind of elegant French aesthetic um, but then layered with um, a, a bit of New York um, contemporary cool so um, it, it didn't happen with with the Everly they didn't have the money to make it happen to take on downstairs um, and that was parked I guess for a bit when we opened Heartbreaker uh, we wanted to prove that we weren't a one-trick pony. So I think Michael obviously Michael had been in the, in the industry for a, a lot longer than me and had been um you know he was the cocktail guy right um and that's great <laughs> it's great to be the cocktail guy he's kind of getting a bit sick of cocktails there for a second um and thought you know everyone just thinks that that we're kind of this um not stuck up but you know we're, we're sort of this very polished um precise um technique driven uh cocktail entity and and we're really regarded and respected for that that's great like what else can you do um and at that stage i remember us sort of saying it'd be really easy to go and open an everly sydney right now that would be that would be the thing that people do um we're not going to do that (laughs) we're going to open heartbreaker um we're going to show what else we can do um and and it was i think that that kind of um Whenever we think about future planning for the business to this day, it has to have a, a really deep-rooted emotional um, place for us, like to be able to take that step forward, and we have to have our hearts in it entirely. And where we were at at that stage was, you know, we were we were both um, we wanted to drink in a place like Heartbreaker. We were we'd been together for a short amount of time. We were really loving being in the industry, like at the heart of the industry, like working in the bar, and um, and we knew that you know what was missing, I guess, from that scene was that sort of late night offering that was as um, that could offer as much quality as the Everly could offer, but in a different application. Um, and that's and that's where Heartbreaker came in was just let's let's give the um, let's give the 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 reins back to the people. Uh, the Everly was all about us telling you what you really should drink, where you should sit, where you should go. You know, um, we we conduct that experience and lead that for you. Heartbreaker was all about let's get the the beer smashed out in you know under thirty seconds, and let's do bottled cocktails so that people can spend more time with their friends or on the dance floor. Um, they can choose their own music on the jukebox. You know, it's like let's give the power back. Um, power back to the guest um so so sorry i was supposed to be talking about Margot there wasn't i i've just gone on a heartbreak tangent <laughs> um but yes yeah, so so that's why that came next and, and Margot got parked there for a minute that's where we were at um and uh unexpectedly someone um Someone came down the street who was who was currently managing the the, the now Margot space as their function space, uh, the previous owner, and and said, um, you know, come come take a look at this space. And we were like, not interested, you know, like we're not looking for anything right now. We had a lot going on at that stage um, and uh, weren't thinking about opening anything new. We had enough on our plate. 
And he said, just come and have a look. It's a really cool space. And I said, no, not interested. Um, and he said, look, it's got a 24-hour license. And we're like, oh, damn it. <laughs> damn it. Okay, we're coming. We're coming. Um, and, and, yeah, I looked down there in this basement and saw this terracotta walls with these annoying pillars that were in the way that could stop you from, from seeing the bar and all these kind of weird cubby holes and this awkward space. And Michael saw... Margot like he, he just walked we were in there for five minutes and he was like this is it this is the one uh this is exactly how it's gonna be <laughs> uh and and that was that we we took a leap and um yeah it was probably the most challenging definitely the most challenging uh thing we've we've done today and uh in the current climate I guess still is um but uh an incredible an incredible execution and and something we're really proud of has it been different creating a venue um, that's so food oriented compared to, say, the Everly and and bars like that? I think um, primarily with the nature of of having to run. I mean, I talk really simply about having to run a kitchen in regards to having to have chefs like rely on chefs and that expertise, particularly as it's not our expertise either. So um, you know, being from the bar. Um, and, and working with chefs rather than being able to at any time, you know, jump in there and, and, and make that happen yourself. You, you're disempowered, right? Um, so that's, that's, a, that's been a challenge. Um, um, we, like I said before, we, we've always come at it from Margot, we still to this day call a bar with food. It is a bar with food. The bar will always kind of be central to the experience. And I think it's important that we sort of market the venue in that way too otherwise you kind of get people going you know why was the music so loud and um you know why why were were cocktails being thrust in front of us you know like it's the experience is all led through through the lens of of a bar um but we always wanted the the food to be substantial and if you are eating we want you to have you know expert service and 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 be in a, a relaxed um environment to eat which you know leads to having you know enough restaurant space to be able to cater to that so um yeah look it's it's been um it's a beast of a venue beyond the fact that it 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 runs a full food menu it's it's a big venue um and it's uh you know we'd, we'd been in the heart of the cbd with with um with heartbreaker but this in terms of the the level of service that we were trying to execute is it was just on another level so um entering into the world of food was was hard and i think we were also we very much felt um uh under the microscope as 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 bartenders or bar people um coming in to open a, a food venue sort of you know what are, what are you guys doing here you're not you're not <laughs> you're not celeb chefs what are you up to this isn't your this isn't your realm this isn't your space um but you know i think i think that what we what we planned to to offer the world was is pretty true to um to what we did and and it's been so embraced since day one um, despite all the closures and and what have you so um so yeah it's been it's been a good gig the last year and a half has been challenging um not just for restaurants but bars as well what what sort of positives and changes have come from all of this for you um our personal 
growth <laughs> through trauma there's growth and resilience uh right and 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 you know if you asked me this question probably six months ago i would have had a very different answer but um coming out the other side um we have been so deeply traumatized by the last year and a half um we had our second child six months ago too so um just to add to sort of you know stress levels when you're meeting with liquidators and and what have you um is um yeah that was pretty pretty heavy um but um coming out we're coming out the other side. I think there's coming out the other side is not the right phrase to use, but um, still, still being here <laughs> as the tunnel, as the tunnel sort of takes a different shape, um, is um, uh, I think Michael and I are closer. I don't know that we could have been closer, but we are closer, and we are more refined and focused in regards to uh, how we want to grow the business um, and what we want to do. Um, we. Uh, I think it, everyone kind of went two ways. Um, you either sort of became more cautious and scared um, in the environment and, and retracted, um, or you chose to to take a little bit more, uh, a few more risks and, and charge ahead. And we are the latter, I guess. There's been some amazing opportunities that have come out of such a difficult time, um, such as, um, you know, the space above Heartbreaker became available and, you know, we're, we're charging on and opening um connie's pizzeria so evolving connie's out of the little hole in the wall inside um heartbreaker and giving her her own venue so opening a venue in this time which is total madness it's absolute madness like there's no staff there's 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 so many challenges um and we you know are paying off aged debtors and all sorts of things it's, it's all very very difficult but um i think that in order to send a a positive message to ourselves, to our team and to the wider industry. I think we felt a responsibility to, to just keep working and just keep moving. Um, and um, hopefully that will be the right decision. <laughs> you've had many different uh, career paths that you've gone down, but hospitality lured you in. What is it that you love about what you do? Um, it's all theatre. It's all theatre. I sometimes reflect on like, how did I, how did I get here? How did that happen? Um, but I remember, I remember doing doing my studies, finishing my masters, and and being in ECC and thinking about what I was uh, experiencing in that service, um, in that service environment, um, and and what I was learning about in in all the theory and and what have you around performance. And it's all. Um, that exchange that you can have with with another human being, um, and how you can kind of create memories and ex- and 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 uh, kind of dim- deeply influence their their experience, and that's service. Um, so, kind of e- evolving, you know, how how we can play a role in improving um, service and, and and being in front of people and changing effectively like it sounds sounds pretty heavy duty but changing their lives you know like some of the most memorable experiences in our lives are in are in these venues that are in bars and restaurants the um they're the pillars that kind of carry us through from celebrations um and, and milestones and they and they mean a lot so being able to create places where people are making those memories and to be a part of of, of what those memories look like for those people um is just the best career I, I think I could be in. 
Well, it's extraordinary what you guys have achieved and no doubt there's much more to come as well. Uh, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much, Anthony. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. 